Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to those of you online. Thank you for checking out Thorn Creek Church. I'm so glad you guys are all here with us. My name is Jeremy. I'm our infrastructure pastor here at Thorn Creek Church. And in case you didn't know, Pastor Ruben, our lead pastor, our better looking pastor, our funnier pastor, he's out right now. He's battling some shingles. So you get me uh, tonight, uh, today, this day. Hey guys, thank you. Thank you. Um, Keep Pastor Reuben in your prayers. Uh, he's trying to heal up. Uh, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God hears our prayers. Um, and we believe that he moves in mighty and miraculous ways. So we believe the church should be a praying church. And so I want to encourage you to pray for Pastor Reuben. Pray for your church. Pray for your community. I want to give you some things to specifically pray about. So pray, pray that Pastor Reuben is completely healed from this. That there, there's no lasting uh, issues. Pray that the nerves in his face specifically nerves number seven and eight would would reawaken and 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 come to life and and so that and do that quickly so that he can preach for Easter I know that's on his heart to to be here and to preach for Easter so pray that he can do that and pray that his dizziness would go away that God would would comfort him and and remove that dizziness I want you guys to specifically pray for those things tonight throughout the week as well um, and then pray for me as well <laughs> pray for me as I deliver this message uh, I've been preparing all week and I, I do believe the Lord has a word for you. So let's pray and jump into this message. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for being here. We thank you for uh, just showing up tonight because you're great, you're good, and we worship you. And uh, God, we lift up Pastor Reuben to you right now. We ask that you would bring healing to his body, God, that you would touch him, that you would use the doctors, you would use uh, whatever you want to use to, to, to heal his body, God. And if you just want to do a miracle right now, in Jesus' name, would you bring healing to his body, God? Remove that dizziness. Bring those nerves back to life. Awaken them, God. Awaken them. Just like you've, you've awoken so many others back from the dead, God. Would you do that with these nerves, God? Would you allow Pastor Reuben to be here for Easter weekend, to preach on Easter weekend, God? We we lift that up to you and we ask in Jesus' name. God, I also ask that you would just be here, continue to be here tonight. God, speak to our hearts, soften our hearts. We want to hear from your word. We want to hear from you. And we don't want to leave this place the same as we came in. We want to be transformed by you, God. So have your way in and through us, God. Have your way here in this place. God, we love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you guys know that Easter is like two weeks away? Two weeks away. It feels like it was just Christmas and now it's Easter. Um, it's come on us real quick. But we have, we have so much going on. I want to, in case you missed our announcements during the countdown time, I want to kind of reiterate what's happening so that you guys all know everything that's happening here at Thorn Creek Church. So next weekend, we have Palm Sunday and we'll have our normal services. And immediately following Palm Sunday, we're going to have our Love on Mission Trace project that we're doing. And we're getting, and this is, I, 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 Praise the church. Praise Jesus for this. We went over budget uh, from last month, $5,000. So we're going to get a thousand. Yeah, put your hands together for that. $5,000. We're going to get a thousand $5 gift cards from King Supers. And we're going to hand them out to people here in our parking lot in the Mission Trace Shopping Center just to show them that God loves them. And this is so cool because I've, I've asked uh, Emily Stromquist to help us kind of get those cards. And so she talked to the manager and then she's got to call corporate and all this kind of stuff. Well, she's talking to the person at the corporate office. And they're kind of blown away by what we're doing, right? They're like, you're just going to give people money? 
We're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to just, we're just going to love on them because Jesus says to love people and that's how God loves us. He just takes care of us and they're just kind of blown away and they're like, you're not going to, you're not like asking them to buy anything or anything. Like we're no, we're just going to give them a card. We're going to tell them that God loves them and we're going to invite them to church and say, hey, you can come to church at Thorn Creek Church. So be a part of that love on mission trace. That's next Sunday, right after services. We're going to meet here and then we're going to head out into the parking lot. And then immediately following that, we're going to have our Holy Week services. So Monday through Friday, every night right here, at Thorn Creek Church, 6.30 p.m., we've got a message, a time of worship and a message. Pastor Nick and myself, we're going to be alternating, and we're going to talk about, each day we're going to talk about specifically what Jesus did on that day of the week, heading to the cross. So on Monday, we're going to talk about what he did on Monday after Palm Sunday and Tuesday and so on. So this is just a time for us to come together to worship and to prepare our hearts for Easter. So I want to encourage you, don't miss any of those Holy Week services. They're going to be fantastic. And immediately following that, we have Easter weekend, Resurrection weekend. And for us, it's weekend, right? Because we have Saturday night services at 6 p.m., Sundays at 9 a.m. and at 11 a.m. And we're just going to have a great time celebrating that our Lord is risen. And we're going to have baptisms as well. So it's going to be a super huge party. So don't miss any of it, okay? That is all of the announcements. I want to make sure you're aware of everything happening at Thorn Creek Church for Easter this year. Now, we're in our series, The Gospel of Mark, and we've been going through chapter by chapter each week, The Gospel of Mark. And today we're in chapter 10. And the events we're looking at today happen just before Jesus enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, right? That's next week. So we don't know exactly how far before he enters into Jerusalem, but it's, it's pretty close, and we know that uh, that he heads into Jerusalem. And so there's some teaching that he has today. And today's message is titled crazy rewards for serving God. Last week, we looked at a difficult message from Jesus where he talked about hell and he talked about cutting off our hand to keep us from temptation and from sin. And today uh, we, or I'm sorry, last week we learned it's not worth it, right? That's what we learned. We learned it's not worth it. If you missed that message, go to our YouTube page, check it out, and then check out any other message you missed from this series because they are all amazing. But today we're looking at rewards, rewards. What, what do we get? What, what, what has God promised us? And before we get there or to get there, we're going to look at the story of a person, the only person who ever rejected an infright from Jesus to follow him. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and just tell them, don't walk away. Don't walk away. Okay? Type it in the chat online. Don't walk away. Let's start in here. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Now let's set the stage here. Jesus is with his disciples. There are crowds gathering around. Well, because, because Jesus, right? Because Jesus has been, people are starting to hear about his name. He's been healing people and doing miracles all over the place. He's got great teaching. So all these people are starting to gather around. Really kind of, Jesus has this huge entourage that goes with him everywhere. And now there are these parents and they're bringing their children to Jesus to bless them. Now, this Greek word that gets translated into children, it refers refers to small children, to infants, 
to babies. So this isn't like my 10-year-old, my 12, my 13-year-old kid that I'm bringing to Jesus. But there are these babies, these infants that parents are bringing to Jesus, and they want him to bless them. Now, what's interesting, where I find interesting about babies and human babies is that human babies are like the uh, nearly the most helpless babies on the planet. Right? When, they're, when we're born, we can't lift our heads, right? We can't provide food for ourselves. We can't walk. We can't get anywhere. You compare that to, to other babies in the world, a baby giraffe, for example. Within an hour of being born, that giraffe can stand up. And for the most part, most baby giraffes, within that first day of being born, have the ability to outrun predators, right? They're very sufficient. But human babies, we're not like that. We're helpless. We're dependent, we're, we're, we're dependent upon our parents and our caregivers for, for food and for shelter, for clothing and, and for warmth and for love and for movement and for safety and even for comfort. Even when we're kind of like fussy, we're not quite comfortable. We, we, we rely upon other people when we're a baby for that comfort. In fact, I, I experienced that this week. It was uh, wonderful. Uh, Pastor Nick and uh, Rachel were here. Rachel is coming on board uh, this month as our children's ministry director. So that is really cool. And what's cool is if you know Pastor Nick and Rachel, they just had a baby, Judah. And so when they're here, he's here, right? So um, I'm, I'm working on my message in my office and I got the door closed trying to kind of focus and I hear some crying. And I recognize it's not Pastor Nick, uh, <laughs> right? And so I go out and I see Pastor Nick and he's got Judah and he's kind of got him in one arm and, and Judah's a little fussy and then he's typing with the other hand because it's on Wednesday and Pastor Nick's trying to prepare for youth group. And so he's like, you know, he kind of looks at me and smiles he's like, yeah, I'm trying to type and all this. And I'm like, well, I need a break. I'll take Judah. You know, I'll take Judah off your hand. I don't mind carrying it. I'm going to carry it around the baby. This is going to be awesome. So I just walk around. I get Judah and we walk around and, and now he's not fussing anymore. He, he was dependent on, 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 on humans, on, on parents and, 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 and surrogate uncles and, and so on for comfort. And I'm carrying him around and we're just walking around the church and I'm making funny faces at him and he's smiling and I'm telling him about my message and what I'm going to preach about. Right. And he's just, he became, he became comforted. And, and that's how we are as, as babies as infants that we need, we depend on others for everything that we need, even down to our comfort level. And Jesus tells his disciples, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to do it as a child, as a baby does it. Completely dependent, not by our own strength, not by our own intelligence, not by our own power or our own will, but by having complete trust, complete faith in God, just as a baby would. We need to cry out to God as a baby would cry out. When a, when a baby needs food or needs something, she doesn't just think to herself, all right, it's time to pull myself up by my bootstraps, get this thing done, I'm going to go find it. Like the baby doesn't do that. The baby just cries. And the baby just cries because that's, that's, what, that's all it can do. And it cries out because it's dependent. And that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to be at this place of dependence on him that we just cry out to him. God, I need you. God, I need you in my life every day. I need you right now. God says, that's how we enter into the kingdom of God as a child does, this childlike faith and dependence because we trust in him because he's God. Not because of what God has done or because we've learned a lot about who God is or I've taken a class and now I know who God is. We, we trust in God because he's God, because he's our heavenly father. It's just like my children. When they were younger, They'd believe anything I said. 
because I was their father because they trusted in me. Now they're smarter. They know not to believe everything I say, right? (laughs) But that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to trust in him, to have this faith of a baby, of an infant, to a small child, to truly trust in him just for everything. Now let's continue on and see what happens as Jesus's day goes on. In verse 17, it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus said, only God is truly good. This man who, when we look at other gospels, Matthew and Luke, they, they have the same account and we learn that he is the rich young ruler. We'll find out he's rich in all of them because he has, he has a lot of wealth. We find out he's young here. And in Luke, we find out that he's a ruler. He's likely a ruler of a synagogue. He has influence and prestige. People respect him and he has authority. He's this, here's this, this man, this rich young ruler who now comes running up to Jesus. Not just, you know, just sees Jesus or whatever, but he's pursuing Jesus. We're, we're on the right track. This, this guy is, is running after Jesus and he comes up to him and he bows down, which was customary for a rabbi. You would come up to the rabbi and you would bow down and he likely put his arms around Jesus's ankles or kind of like his legs and and he would be bowed down and he would say, he says, teacher, he says, good teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? He's coming to Jesus with the right heart, right attitude and his mind is set on eternal life, the resurrection. So we know he's this leader of the synagogue. He's probably a Pharisee, not a Sadducee, because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And that's why they were sad, you see. Dad joke. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. They didn't believe in the resurrection. That was a good one. Uh, And then Jesus says, why do you call me good? I love this. I love this. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, many people over the, over the years have, have tried to use this verse to say, see, Jesus even says that he's not God. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is checking this man, kind of vetting him out. He says, why, why are you calling me good? Isn't, isn't, isn't it only God that's good? Are you, are you saying that I'm God? See, because this isn't the first time Jesus has, has gone through this. In the Gospel of Luke... Earlier in chapter 9, another leader of the synagogue, another religious leader, another Pharisee, asks Jesus the same question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? But in Luke, we understand that he says this to test Jesus, to try and trick Jesus, to see if he'll say something wrong so that he can use it against him and, 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 and debunk him and say, see, he's, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know the word. So Jesus is really kind of just vetting this guy out. Like, why are you calling me good? When we continue on, verse 19, it says, but to answer your question, see, so Jesus doesn't even allow him to answer. Jesus just continues on. He says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Jesus points out the Ten Commandments that we get from Exodus 20. And he says, you know what the, what the Old Testament says. You know what the law says. You're a leader in the synagogue. You should know all of these things. You're a religious man, a pious man. 
And it's interesting though, that Jesus only looks at kind of like the second half of the 10 commandments. When you look at the 10 commandments, you can kind of divide them in half. And the first part is really about, about me and God. You know, that, that God is the only God, that you should worship no one other than God, that you should not create uh, graven images or idols or worship those, that you should not take the Lord's name in vain, that you, you need to, you know, honor the Sabbath. It's all about my relationship with God. And then the second half is about our relationship with others, this horizontal view, this, you know, honor your father and mother and, and don't steal and don't kill and don't give false testimony and don't covet your neighbor's wife or, your pro- or their property, like, all of this stuff. And these are the things that, that all of them should know. Any young Jewish man would know these things. And so that's why Jesus kind of says, well, you know what the law says. He knows who he's talking to. And he says, follow all those. And this guy says, I did, I do, since I've been young. I've been doing this. I've been checking off the boxes. Now we may look at that and go, ah, I don't know about that, but it's possible. It's possible because those boxes, there's, there's gaps in between the, the boxes, right? We recognize that, that when Jesus preached on, on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, it's been said, do not murder, but I say, don't even hate someone, right? That's that gap in between the box. Oh, okay, I didn't murder anyone. I check that box off every day right? I don't murder anyone. Cool. Gun. Done. But this guy, he says, I've done this. And even Paul talked about how he had done it in the Philippians, his letter to the Philippians. He said, I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews, a Pharisee. When it comes to the law, I am righteous. But even Paul says, I count it as loss, as nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that, that just because we check the boxes, doesn't mean we're righteous. It doesn't mean we're going to inherit eternal life. That's what this guy is looking for. It's a loss compared to knowing Christ. Like this idea of I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I, I do good things. It's possible to walk through life like that, not lying and not stealing and not hurting people, not murdering people, not committing adultery. It's possible to do that. I'm a good person. And that's what this guy says. He's like, I've done all those things. I've done all of them. And look at verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Man, this part of the verse is just beautiful. Jesus looks at him and loves him. He recognizes this man's heart. He also (laughs) recognizes where his heart and his treasure really is. And that's why he's going to complete the next part. But he loves him. The, the, The Greek word here that's translated into love is agapeo. It's agape. It's that same love that Jesus used with Peter in John 21 when he's, he's talking to Peter after he's been resurrected and he goes up to Simon Peter and he says, Simon Peter, do you really love me? Like an enduring brotherly love, this love that like is almost like a, a father and a, a child or a parent and a child. It's a love that, that, that knows no bounds. It's a love that, that doesn't count a cost. It's a love that's unconditional. Just like with our children, our children, they make mistakes. They make bad choices. They do things that bother us, but we still love them. We're never going to turn them away. And that's the love that, that Jesus has for this man. He sees him and he, he recognizes like, you're so close. I love you. It's the love he has for each and every one of us. When Jesus sees us and we're pursuing him and we're going after him, he sees us and he goes, I love you. I agape you. I love you. And then Jesus says, there is still one thing you haven't done. 
He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now this is pretty heavy. It's difficult for this man. I mean, Jesus really goes for the jugular here because because this man is very wealthy. He has a lot of things. To sell all that he owns is a drastic life change. Sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. See, there's the reward. There's the reward. You have treasure in heaven. Heavenly treasure. Heavenly treasure. What is heavenly treasure? I really don't know. But I know it's pretty good. I can tell you this. I shared this last week. I was talking with that friend. Like, like our God, it, it, on our world, we use asphalt for streets. Our God uses gold. If he uses gold for streets that we walk on, how much better are his treasures? How much better than our treasures are his? How much greater are the things that he can give us? The, 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 we get to, in heaven, we get to be in the presence of Jesus. We get to see him face to face. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. These are the treasures in heaven that we will have. We won't worry about money. 10,000 years from now, we're going to be like, what's money? If, we're, if, our, if our faith is in Jesus and we're in heaven eternally, we're not going to worry about things. Like these are the treasures of heaven. And Jesus tells this man, he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven that outlast anything you have here. Crazy rewards for serving God. Crazy rewards. This man was caught up in all his morality, all of his box checking and his rule following. God, he didn't realize that God didn't create us to follow rules. God created us to be in relationship with him. He created us to be in relationship. Morality comes as we're in relationship with Jesus, as we follow God, as we, as we commune with him, we're going to start changing We're going to be transformed. We're going to start loving the things that God loves and we're going to hate the things that God hates like sin. And and we're going to love the people that God loves because, because we're going to commune with him. We're going to be closer to him. We're going to be transformed by him. It'll happen. But that's because it's about Jesus. It's not about us. What we see here with this young ruler is that it's possible to follow those rules, to check those boxes to be religious, to be pious, to be self-righteous, to check off all those boxes, but still put something greater than God, to put something above God. Remember, this man started coming to Jesus and running and kneeling down and saying, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He He was on the right track. But what he didn't realize is that he put his wealth above God. Turn to the person next to you and say one thing. One thing. Tell him one thing. Type it in the chat. One thing. Just one thing. That's what Jesus tells him. There's one thing you haven't done. I don't believe he only had one thing. But that's what Jesus tells him is you have one thing, right? Jesus says that you have one thing. Other versions say that you, there's one thing you lack. I like that, that way of saying it. Like there's one thing like you lack. You don't have it. The word, the Greek word that's translated into lack or haven't done means devoid of. There's one thing you are devoid of. 
Sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor. Jesus hones in on this man's wealth, not because money and wealth are bad. I don't want you to hear that. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to have things. God doesn't want us to have money. God doesn't want us to, to be secure in our wealth. That's not what he's saying. He just recognizes for this man, that one thing is his wealth. That's the one thing he's putting above God. That's the thing that he needs to get rid of to follow God completely. And Jesus knows where his heart is. Just like we, we talked last week about sacrifice. We sacrifice for the, the things that we, we know will, will lead us down this road of temptation and then down this lo- road of, of sin. Jesus takes it one step further. And now he's talking about like complete surrender. Just everything. Just complete surrender. Like, so now it's no longer about that morality. It's no longer about hell. It's no longer about sin. It's just about love God completely. Put him at the top. Completely surrender your life to God. And what I've recognized, what what we all need to understand is that we all have one thing. We all have one thing. We can all relate with this rich young ruler. We all have one thing. The thing I've recognized as I've walked with God is that I've had like a thousand one things. And I'll probably have another thousand one things. I'm not perfect, right? And I won't be perfect on this side of eternity. Not until I I, I am resurrected and I have a glorified body and I'm with Jesus in heaven. I've got lots of things that Jesus wants to work on in my life. And I've recognized that there are times where I feel like I'm I'm, I'm on the right track. I'm doing well. I'm I'm devoted to God. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm loving others. I'm I'm doing my best to stay away from sin. I'm, I'm relying upon the Holy Spirit. And then God says, there's this one thing your attitude right here let's work on that your, your thought right here this thought this thought life right here let's let's work on that your words to your family let's let's work on that right over here and i'm so thankful that god is patient and gracious with me to only work on one thing <laughs> right one thing at a time thank you jesus because imagine how it would feel if, you, if God was like, here's everything you got to do. Right? That's the law. That's how we feel when we look at 613 laws and we go like, how am I supposed to do all of that? But God's grace is sufficient. He helps us along and he says, just this one thing. This one thing you're putting above me right now. Let's work on that. Let's work on that. See, Jesus says to give up this earthly reward, this treasure to follow me completely. And we, have, we all have our different kinds of rewards. We all have our things, our treasures in our lives. It could be our job, promotions and raises that we get, or, or kids and our family as they grow. There's our reward. There's our treasure. We have retirement. We have friends. We have financial things of all sorts. Finances are huge. You know, it, it equals stability in our life. That's why we want those finances because we feel, we feel secure with them. We know that we can handle things that come up. We have other kinds of treasures, education, master's degrees and PhD degrees and, and prestige and status and influence, all of these things we have and we value them. But what Jesus is showing this rich young ruler, what he's telling us is we need to make sure that they're appropriately valued, that they all exist under God not above. That our value in these rewards, these things that we have in our life, they're better in heaven. They're better when God gives them to us. 
This rich young ruler's one thing, his reward on this earth happens to be his wealth. And that's why Jesus centered on it. Jesus asks us to put nothing above him, nothing above following him. Check out the man's response in verse 22. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Have you ever seen someone's face fall? And by the way, this is the only recorded instance of someone, of Jesus telling someone, follow me, and they turned away. Matthew left being a tax collector. Peter, James, John, they dropped their nets and left the boats and left their career. Like everybody left. This is the only one that we see in the gospels where Jesus says, come follow me. And their face fell. Turn to the people or person next to you and just tell them, don't walk away. Don't walk away. This guy just walked away. His face fell. The Greek uh, for his face fell or for sad, it means sorrowful. It's this metaphor of a sky covered with clouds. You know, when it's rainy and there's just cloud cover and after like the whole day or maybe two days or a whole week of that, you're just like, that's how sad he was. Here's this guy. He ran up to Jesus. He, He kneeled down. He said, good teacher. And Jesus tells him this and he's all excited and then his face just falls. He's not kind of like, oh, well, that kind of sucks. No, he's like it, devastated. In fact, that's that devastated in Luke. It says he was very sad. And the Greek word there uh, translates or, or means overcome with sorrow so much as to cause one's death. He wasn't just sad. His whole continence fell. He was crushed. You ever seen someone's face like that? I saw it this last week. In case you guys didn't know, Friday was April Fool's Day. So my son, Seth's getting ready for school. I knock on the door. He kind of opens it up, looks at me. Hey, Dad. I said, hey, snow day, no school. And his face got so big. Really? Nope, April Fool's. <laughs> face fell. Door shut. Right? <laughs> Just gone, just devastated. How dare you do that to me? That's what I, oh, I love that kid. This man missed two rewards that Jesus promised. His face fell because he didn't see the real treasure. Jesus told him, if you sell everything and you give it to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven. There's one. And then he says, and then come follow me. That's reward number two. He had the opportunity to have treasure in heaven which we talked about is greater than anything we can have on this earth. And he would get to be in the presence of Jesus to walk with him and to be close with him, to, to, to be friends with him. But this guy, all he could see was his own wealth. All he could see is the thing that he's giving up. He, he didn't recognize that there's greater when you surrender, when you sacrifice. The man couldn't separate from his earthly possessions. It was just too big of an ask. I love how Dr. Daniel Hill, he asked this, and this is something we all need to ask ourselves. What is it that you hold to so tightly that you will never know the wealth that Jesus has for you? That's what this man experienced. He was holding so tightly to his wealth and his possessions that he missed out on the wealth that Jesus could give him. 
the rewards of heaven, this, this treasure in heaven to, to be with Jesus, to do the exact thing that he wanted, that he asked, how do you inherit uh, in eternal life? How do you live past the, the resurrection? How do you live with God for eternity? Get rid of these earthly possessions. Don't put them above God. What is it in your life that you tell God, I got this? You know, oftentimes we have these, you know, we will, God, you can have all of my life, everything except my finances. My finances, I'll take care of that because I earned it. I worked really hard and that's for me. You don't need to worry about that. I'll take care of that. God, you can have everything in my life. You can have everything except my family. My family, that's mine. I've been working on it. I'll talk to them the way I need to. I'll raise them. I'll, don't worry about it, God. I'll take care of that. That part's mine. God, you can have every part of my life, but not my, not my career. That's mine. I've been working really hard. I've, I've got this under control. I can take care of it, right? There's all these things that we can say that we can choose to have in and of ourselves. And we, and we say, God, I've got this. I don't need you here. And what Jesus is saying is, you don't got this. You need me there. <laughs> Your earthly treasures, they're nothing. They're not worth it. Jesus wants you to know, or wants to know what you're willing to give up to serve him and experience true rewards in him. That's what he wants to know. Is there anything that you have that's off limits to God? Anything that you say, you know what, God, that's for me to deal with. That's the one thing. That's the one thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's your thought life. God, don't worry about that. It's okay. That's your one thing. Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it is your wealth. That's your one thing. God doesn't, God isn't telling you, I don't want you to ever have anything. God isn't telling you, I don't want you to have your desires. God just doesn't want your desires to be above him. As we continue on, and Jesus turns his attention to the disciples. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. To the ancient Jew... From Abraham to Solomon, riches appeared to be a sign of divine favor. There was a, a real prosperity theology. They believed if, you, if you're following God, then he will bless you and you will have riches and wealth and you will be doing well and you'll have health. Now, if you don't have health or you don't have riches, then God must not be blessing you. So there must be something wrong in your life that you're not following God. We see this in the book of Job. That's what Job's friends kept telling Job. At the beginning of the book of Job, God is talking to Satan. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? And basically Satan goes, look, you've blessed him. Of course he loves you. You've given him everything. Let me have my way with him and we'll see if he likes you. He'll curse you. And so God says, fine, take all of his stuff. And so his family dies and all of his herds are taken away and all of his, he has no money and it's all gone. And then we cut back to God and Satan and God goes, look at my servant Job. He loves me. 
And Satan says, yeah, but you know what? It's because he's got his health. You're taking care of him. Take his health away from him and he'll curse you. And so God gives permission to Satan and says, go ahead. You can inflict him. You can't take his life, but you can inflict him. So then Job is just covered with boils and all kinds of leprosy and it's horrible. And he sits in ashes and he scrapes himself all day because it's just painful. And all of his friends come around and they're going like, Job, there must be something wrong that you've done because God isn't blessing you. That's this prosperity theology that's there. And Jesus is just like uprooting it, right? It's the upside down, inside out kingdom. We know this. Have you ever seen a wicked person that has lots of money? I have. Does that mean God's blessing them? I don't think so. It doesn't work like that. And that's what Jesus is saying is, is, is that it's very hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. He's upending what they believe in this prosperity theology. And he's actually telling them it's really hard if you're that way, if you have all of this wealth. See, the disciples thought, you know what, if you're following God and then God's blessing you, then you've got, you're, you're well taken care of, you're secure And so it's going to be really easy to get into heaven because you've been following God the whole way. But what Jesus is telling them is that when you have wealth, your issue is no longer about your sin and and, and your, it's about your dependence. Your problem becomes you because you're self-reliant and you're self-sufficient and you're self-dependent. You're not on the right track. When you're wealthy, you don't have a dependency. You're you're self-sufficient. The trouble with wealth and riches is as we become more wealthy, as we become more financially secure and stable, we become more self-reliant and self-sufficient. We learn to depend upon ourselves instead of others and on God. When I'm doing well, I don't need to worry about asking someone to borrow their truck to move. I'll just rent one. When I'm doing well, when I have money, I don't have to work. I don't have to cry out for food. I just go buy food. And the danger is when I, when I, when I recognize that I'm doing all of this for myself, I don't really need God, do I? My, my food's not coming from God, is it? It's coming from me. That's the danger. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's so much harder because all you do is depend upon your own wealth. That's the challenge. Now, you may think, I'm no rich young ruler. I'm no rich young ruler. Do me a favor. Everybody raise your hand. Do everybody raise your hand. Okay, now don't move. Everybody raise your hand if you're wealthy. Yeah, we live in America, guys. We're wealthy. We're wealthy. I looked up some stats. Like the the median average household income of the world, meaning half of the people in the world are above this and half are below the average median. And this is from like, I think it was 2018, the study I looked at. It's $10,000. Half the people in the world live on less than $10,000 a year. We're wealthy. We have clean water. We don't worry about water. People drink water out of hoses. At least I do sometimes. I did, right? We, we, we have so many things, so many things. And the danger is, is that we can become self-dependent, self-sufficient. We recognize, we don't, we don't see a need for God. 
I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. This is why uh, when we talk about North Denver and ministering up here and being a pastor and we say it's hard ground. You know why? Because it's a very affluent area. It's hard to go to someone, to a family who mom and dad have a job and we have two kids and everybody's got a car and we got a camper and to tell them you're missing something in your life. That's hard ground. They feel like, hey, I've got it all taken care of. I'm all right. I'm not missing anything. I like how David Guzik said, he said, riches present a difficulty because they tend to make us satisfied with this life instead of longing for the age to come. If you're satisfied here, you don't look forward to anything else. You're just good. It's good. And then Jesus tells him it's, it's easier for this camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. And this is another hyperbole. This is not, I mean, he's not talking literally, but a camel is huge. It's, it's like the biggest animal that these disciples would have seen around in that time. He says, it's easier for that camel to go through this tiny little eye of a needle than when you depend on yourself. When you aren't like that infant from verse 13 through 16, when you aren't, you don't have that childlike faith, when all you do is depend upon yourself, it's hard because you got to trust in God. Hear this, I want you to hear this. This is the challenge. You can't enter the kingdom of God if you think you're the king. When we're dependent upon ourselves, we're self-reliant, we think we're the king. We're taking, we're calling the shots, we're doing everything. We can't enter into the kingdom of heaven like that. We have to come in with humility, and knowing that we depend upon God and that it's all about God. And so the disciples ask what you may be thinking as well. Verse 26, the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They ask. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. It's only by God's grace that we enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is only by Jesus on the cross dying for our sins that we get to enter into heaven. It's nothing that we can do. That rich young ruler was asking, what do I do to enter into eternal life? But there's nothing that you do. It's everything that Jesus does. It's by God's grace that we enter into heaven. It's by God's grace, even when we're wealthy and we're rich. Because I'm not trying to shame anyone here. I live in America too. <laughs> I, I recognize all the good things we have. I'm not, we're, not, we're not shaming on ourselves, but we recognize that we need to be more dependent upon God. And it's by God's grace that we can do that. It's by God's grace that we recognize that he loves us so much that I'm willing to give up anything. I'm willing to do that. If he asks me to sell everything and to go give it to the poor, I'm going to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you. That's going to be a really big step. Don't get me wrong. It's hard. But it's faith. It's a faith step. That's what God asks us to do because it's by his grace that we walk in, those faith, in that faith. And then I love Peter, verse 28. Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Peter doesn't have a filter. If you've ever read the book, no filter. He's like, we gave up everything. He's asking, what about us? We gave up nets and boats and careers and I left my family and I'm here out here with you and we're like, we don't have anywhere to live. We just, we just camp everywhere we are. And what about us? What do we get? Because we're not like that guy. We, we're choosing to put you above everything else. 
And and Jesus responds in verse 29, yes, Jesus replied. He recognized, yes, you have left everything. Yes, you are putting me first. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news. Note that caveat there. It's for Jesus' sake. For the sake of the gospel, if you, if you give up those things, here's what Jesus is saying, verse 30, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. Thanks for throwing that one in. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. He's answering the question of the young man, how do I eternal, uh, uh, inherit eternal life? Verse 30 says you will receive it now, though. It's now and later. Now and later, now and in eternity, you'll receive those things. Now I can stand up here. I can tell you, I've given my life to Christ. I've, I've, as best as I can, I've, I've let him rule in everything. There's nothing that I'm trying to put above him, but I don't have a hundred properties. I don't have a hundred houses. So, so what does this mean? What does this look like? If, if I follow Jesus, how do I have a hundred homes or a hundred brothers and sisters it's the church. It's the church. It's the body of Christ. When, when you give your life to Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, where you're adopted into the family of God and you are now a, a member of the church, capital C church, big church, worldwide church. And you have brothers and sisters everywhere. I went to Peru. I've been to Peru twice on our mission trips that we've done here in Thorn Creek. And I walk in there and it's not like I'm a stranger. They're not not worried about like, because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, I walk in and I'm family. They're hugging me and loving on me and making food and, and, and doing their best to have hospitality because they love each other, because we love each other. I have hundreds of brothers and sisters in Peru I didn't even know about. Yeah, put your hands together. That's the church. That's, that's what we have. That's the reward that we get. We, we come alongside each other and we support each other. When one of us is hurting, we're all hurting. We pray for each other. We lift each other up. If someone needs some dishes, we give them dishes. If someone needs some food, we give them food. If they need a place to stay, you can stay at my house. I've got a couch. Or even better yet, I'll sleep on the couch and you can have the bed. Right? We're just, I'm, we want to love like Jesus loves. And that's what Jesus is talking about. This is that hundred times reward that you'll have right now. Now, I recognize the church has not always been great. There are some churches that have not loved. I, I get that. We're, the church is made of imperfect people. But just remember that if we're all following Jesus, if we're doing our best, we will love on each other. The whole idea is that we love on each other, that we've, we are built for community. God created us to do this. And if we give up those things, if we're willing to sacrifice and give up the rewards that we have, we will receive a hundred times over. I like how William Lane said it. He said, God takes away or takes nothing away from a man without restoring it to him in a new and glorious form. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. Anything you give up, God will give it back to you better. There's this community in the church. 
See, Jesus' promise, we see it in John 10.10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. We have crazy rewards for serving God. Crazy rewards. Don't walk away. Don't let your face be downcast and fallen. Don't don't let your continence change. Don't, don't, Don't cling on to those things of this world too tightly. Let them go. Give them to God and see what he can do in your life. See how he can restore and how he can work in your life. See the the, the new rewards that he'll give in this place and in eternity. It all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. We surrender to him and we don't walk away. And every day we work on that one thing and we ask the Holy Spirit to to strengthen us and to grow us and to transform us. Don't walk away. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being our Lord and our Savior. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for coming to give us life abundantly. That we can have joy in the middle of our pain, that we can have comfort in the middle of our mourning and our grieving. That you've built a community, your church. That we can each be a part of it. That we can share in each other's burdens. As we cry out to you, God, as we cry out, Abba, Father, just like a baby, just like an infant, just like a small child, we say, God, we need you. If you're here today and you recognize there's this one thing that Jesus wants you to work on, just give it to him right now. Say, Abba, Father, I give this to you. I don't want to depend on it. I want to depend on you. God, take it away if it's not good for me. God, increase it if it is good for me. But just let me know. I want to let you know, God, that I'm putting it under you. I'm putting you before it. I'm following you and I'm giving you everything. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. And you recognize that you want that heavenly treasure, that you want that eternal life with him and that you recognize that you need Jesus, then just say this prayer, Jesus, as best as I know how, I'm going to follow you. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. I turn from them and I want to follow you with everything I have. I don't want to be like this rich young ruler who walks away when you say, follow me. I want to be like Peter. I want to drop my net and follow you with everything. God, we love you and we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name.